Here in Deuteronomy 30, we're going to do quite a bit of reading tonight. We're going to read the first 10 verses first. With the Lord's help, we'll uh, read uh, another few verses after that. Uh, but anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning at verse 1, says, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered, scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out into the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy land, for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good, as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul. Now, if you paid attention, there was a lot of that... Uh, what we just read there that was present tense, there was a lot of it that was future tense, and there was a little bit of it that was past tense. we just kind of all over the place as far as tenses go in this. But uh, when we read that passage of Scripture there, God is telling these Israelites, when you go into the land, when you go into this land that I have promised, you're going to be scattered. He's saying, when you go into the land, you're going to disobey me. God already knows what they're going to do. My God is omnipotent. My God is omnipotent. My God is omnipresent. My God is all of these things. He is sovereign over this universe and he knows what people are going to do even before he does it. He knew what these Israelites were going to do before they ever crossed over into Jordan, before he ever gave them over into the promised land, before the spies even went over to scope out and see what all was going on. My God knew that that land would be theirs. He knew that they would disobey him once they got over there but he says even though I scatter you he didn't say the nations will scatter you he didn't say you will leave on your own he said I will scatter you but even if I scatter you to the outmost parts of the heaven to the uttermost parts of the earth I will gather you right back here where I promised folks he is not a God that he could lie he's not a man that he could lie my God has never had gall found in his mouth. My God has never said what he has promised his people. We can bank on it. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Just like these Israelites could. Now listen, he was giving them warning. He was telling them, when you go over, you're going to transgress my law. When you go over, you're going to do just as your forefathers did. Just as those whose carcasses have rotted out here in this wilderness over these 40 years that you've been wandering around in circles looking for the promised land. These 40 years that I told you you would wander around here looking for this promised land that I told Abraham, your father, that you would inherit. He says, when you go over there, you will transgress my law. But don't you worry. You, your seed, your posterity will inherit this land one day after a while. And when God saved my soul, he knew that I would sin. When God saved my soul, he knew I wouldn't walk perfect. When God saved me, he knew I would fall. He knew I would stumble. But my God has made a promise. He said, I sought you to the outmost parts of the earth. I intend to bring you home. Philippians chapter 1. My God says in his word in Philippians chapter 1 it says that God will finish that which he started in me. He will finish what he started in me. Folks, I rest easy at not knowing that. Yeah. I rest easy at night when I lay down my, my head. Hey, after I've prayed, after I've sought God, after I've repented for my sins for the day, after I've asked my forgiveness, hey, I lay my head down and I sleep easy at night knowing that my Bible says that God will. It doesn't say may, doesn't say maybe, doesn't say he could. It says that he shall finish that in me which he began. Therefore, I can lay down my head and rest easy and not these Israelites here. God was telling them when you go into the land you will sin. You will transgress. You're going to whore after other gods. You're going to whore after other idols. You're going to do all of these things that your fathers before you did. But I will seek you out. Hallelujah. That's the God that I serve. Now listen. He wasn't giving them a license to go sin in telling them these things. He wasn't telling them, go out and have yourself a big party. You live your life the way you want to. You drug it up, you drink it up, you woman it up, you man it up, you do all these things. He wasn't telling them that. He was just saying, these are the things you're going to do. But I have made a promise. I have made a promise. But he says, he gives them a foreign notion. He says, when all these things have happened, when the blessing and the cursing has happened, after all these things, he said, I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'll circumcise your heart. Folks, the circumcision was the sign of the covenant. It wasn't the covenant itself. The covenant was words that God spoke unto Abraham. That was the covenant. He said, I will give you this land. I will multiply your seed. That was the covenant. It was the words that God spoke. The circumcision was nothing more than a sign of that covenant. Folks, over in the New Testament, we read over and over again in the book of Galatians. We read it in Hebrews. We read it in Acts chapter 15. We read it all over the New Testament where those Jews were depending on the sign of the covenant instead of the covenant itself. Instead of the covenant where Almighty God said, I will send a deliverer. I will send one that all nations will come unto. I will send one that will be Messiah, not just for you, but for the entire world. They were depending on their sign. Mm -hmm. 
They were saying Jesus is all great and fine and well. They were saying the blood of Jesus Christ, I appreciate the man shedding it, but we still need the circumcision. We still got to follow the law. We still got to do this, and we still got to do that. Paul wrote to the Romans. Paul wrote to the Roman church, Christ is the end of the law unto salvation. He's the end of the law unto righteousness. Not the end of the law, but He is the end of the law unto righteousness. Folks, that, that law includes the law of circumcision. It includes the Ten Commandments. It includes every law that those Jews for thousands of years have been trying to keep and failing to keep. When God gave the Ten Commandments, it wasn't so that they could keep those and be in right relationship with Him. God gave those commandments that the Jews could see just who God was. They could see just how holy He was, how righteous He was, and how filthy and rotten and sinful they were. Because none of them could keep it. No more than I can. And no more than you can. God telling these Jews here. <clears throat> He's telling them, when you go into the land, you will transgress but I will seek you out. And you will, listen, there's no doubt in this scripture that we read. He says, you will come back to me. You will come back. What does that remind me of? That reminds me of Luke chapter 15. Jesus gave three parables in that chapter. One, a parable of a man that had a hundred sheep. One of them went astray. Says he went out, he found that one. He left the 99, praise God. And he went out and he found that one. Hey, he started with 100 sheep and he ended up with 100 sheep. He went out, he left those 99 that hadn't strayed. They hadn't gone out the fold. They hadn't gone over yonder on the mountain or down in the weeds. They hadn't left at all, but he left the fold and went out and found that one. The next parable that Jesus speaks in that chapter is a woman that had 10 pieces of money and she lost one of them. But hey, she swept around. She cleaned around. She looked everywhere for that piece and she finally found it. That woman began with ten and she ended with ten. And the last parable he speaks is the parable of the prodigal son. A man had two sons. One of them came to him and said, give me my inheritance. And the father gave him his inheritance. He went out and blew it on riotous living. But then a famine hit the land. That boy found himself in the pigsty eating husky of course, but he found himself hungry, and when he got hungry, he remembered the father's house. Yes. And he come back to him. That man started with two sons, and he wound up with two sons. He started with two, and he wound up with two. Folks, God won't lose a single one of us. He will not lose a single one of us. Those of us who are born again. Those of us that are washed in the blood. Those of us that are on that straight and narrow path that He has set us upon. He will not lose us. He began with a hundred. He'll end up with a hundred. She began with ten. She wound up with ten. The man began with two boys. He wound up with two boys. God will not lose a single one of those which belong to Him. He will not lose his elect. He will not lose those he has chosen. He will not lose those which he has saved and his son died for. Hallelujah. That's my God. That's my God. He's telling these Jews here, yes, you're going to sin, but you will come back. Your children will sin, but you're going to come back. I preached a sermon here not long ago about the Syrophoenician woman. 
That Syrophoenician woman sought out Jesus yeah, yeah. when he came through town. She said, she said, Lord, my daughter's possessed with a devil. And I said then, if we had parents and we had grandparents that would own the problem with their children and their grandchildren like that woman did, if they would say, well, it's not just a phase and it's not just this and it's not just this. My child has a demon. My child has a devil inside of them. If they would own the problem like that woman did, I think we'd see a whole lot more people on the altars in the churches. I think we'd see a whole lot more mothers shedding tears, a whole lot more daddies begging for salvation for their children, and a whole lot more grandparents doing the same. But no, no, we want to chalk it up to something else. We want to chalk it up to society. We want to chalk it up to problems, personal problems, school problems, when it boils down to the fact these children have demons. Folks, I had demons. I didn't even realize it. And when you were lost, you had demons too. Every one of us did. If they wasn't inside of you, they was following you everywhere that you went, whispering in your ear, camping out on your shoulder, doing all kinds of things, convincing you of all kinds of things. Folks, what happened to the Israelites? They were convinced that it was okay to do idol worship. They were convinced it was okay to seek after other gods. After God, after God had shown himself to Moses on a mountaintop at Sinai, after they had heard the thunderings, after they had felt the earthquakes and seen the lightnings and seen the fires. They had seen the very glory of God shining off of Moses, yet they still went chasing other gods. My goodness. How many people spend years in church houses Seen the glory of God. Heard the testimonies of God's people. Heard the preached word of God. And still left out just as lost as when they came in. Even after they've seen the evidence of it. Even after they've felt the presence of Almighty God. Even after all these things. They still leave out. Because they chalk it up to something else. I wasn't no different. I wasn't no different. When I was under conviction before I got saved. I I was chalking it up to everything. I was like, no, this can't be. I couldn't have been wrong all these years. I couldn't. There can't be a God out there. I couldn't have been wrong about this. This is just adrenaline. This is just a coincidence. It's just this and it's just that. When all the time, deep in my mind, because God gave every one of us a conscience, He gave every one of us the knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil. He gave every one of us that deep in the back of my mind. I knew what it was. I knew it was Almighty God that was stirring up something inside of me. I knew it was God that was dealing with me. I knew it was God that was showing me, you're on your way to hell, boy, and I'm the only one that can do something about that. praise God. He didn't give up on me that that God. He chased me for three solid days not letting me eat, sleep, work, or anything else and bless God, He finally saved me. Hallelujah. That's the way my God works. Folks, these Israelites weren't no different. They weren't no different. He chased them. He chased them. My goodness, when they come, when the first generation, when they come up out of Israel, Roger taught on it just this morning in Sunday school. When they come up out of Israel, they wasn't <coughs> across the Red Sea for just a few days. They was already whining. They was already whining because they come to a place that had bitter water. Not thinking, well, maybe, just maybe if we trounce on just a little ways further, if we just parade on our way, we might find, find some good water. We might find some sweet water. But no, they chose to stop at that place. 
And wine to Moses, who was a representative of God. He was the deliverer sent by God. He's the man commissioned and ordained by Almighty God to deliver them up out of Egypt. They murmured against him, murmured against God. They said, hey, did Egypt not have enough graves for all of us? We'd be better off back there. At least we had the flesh pots. At least we had the leeks and the onions. At least we had all these things there. You brought us out into this wilderness just to let us die. Folks, God didn't save me just to let me die. He didn't save me to sit dead in a church house pew. He didn't save me to do nothing with my testimony. He didn't save me to do nothing for Him. He saved me to bring glory unto Him. He didn't save me for my benefit. He saved me for His own. When God saves a soul, He saves it to His own glory and to the glory of Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with you. Everything to do with God. That's why He deserves praise. He didn't have to save us. Folks, He don't need our praise. He's got stars to praise Him. He's got angels to praise Him. He's got an entire universe that He created that He can use in any way, shape, form, or fashion that He wants to to bring Him praise. He wants us to praise Him and He expects us to praise Him and we should praise Him because everybody under the sound of my voice right now deserves to be burning in hell right now. And I ain't going. That's why I praise God. That's why I shout my hallelujahs. That's why I get my amens. Hallelujah. Praise God. He tells them, I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to circumcise your heart. We'll get into those last four verses here in just a minute. Uh, Verses 11 through 14 in Deuteronomy 30. The folks, the circumcision, we all know what that is. That was a sign of the covenant and uh, it was given unto Abraham uh, way back over in Genesis and that's what these Jews were depending on. They said, well, I've got the sign of the covenant. I'm one of God's children. Uh, because I have this done. My parents, they've done this to me. Paul even said that over in his letters, over in a couple of his different epistles. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day. In other words, I was circumcised just as the law said that I needed to be. He said, I'm of the stock of Benjamin. I'm a Jew of the Jews. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He said, I sat under the feet of a man named Gamaliel. He said, I was taught by the by the top-notch Jew, uh, by the top-notch Jewish teacher. He said, I've got all these things going for me if any man has any right to brag about himself it is me but I count all of this as done to know Jesus Christ it doesn't matter who we are it doesn't matter what we know I've had people listen I ain't bragging on Spencer not, not one little, little bit I've had people tell me Spencer I wish I knew as much about the Bible as you do I've had people tell me that folks and listen I wish I knew as much about the Bible as those people thought that I knew I, I, I know people right now. I know men that can preach circles around me. I know men that have forgotten more about the Bible than I'll ever know. Uh, but I've had people say those things. Folks, I know, uh, I know atheists that know a lot about Scripture. I know a lot about Scripture before I believed in God, before He saved my soul. I knew a lot about this book. I knew a lot about Jewish history. I knew a lot about church history. But that did not save my soul. That did not bring me in right standing with God. It took God to save my soul out of the filth and the muck and the mire and the sin that it was in. It took God to circumcise my heart. I couldn't reach inside and do it to myself. Only
God could do that. And God did that for me. Yes, thank you, Lord. The Bible says that he looks on the, on the heart. Yeah. Say, he's not like man. Don't look on the outward appearance. Yeah. <clears throat> Over there when David was being anointed king, he says, you look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible describes him as one that searches the reins of the heart. He searches the reins. The folks, these Jews, God was telling them, you're going to mess up. You will mess up. But I will bring you back to me. And you will come back to me. Folks, there is no doubt in all this, this ten verses that we read tonight. In all these ten verses, there is no doubt what God's plan was. And there is no doubt of what God intended to do. There is no doubt that God can do exactly what he said that he would do. That's why I tell people, folks, not only this chapter, but multiple other chapters in the scripture, God is still not finished with Israel. I don't care who says what. I don't care who says that the church is the new Israel of God. Folks, I can't find that in the scriptures anywhere. God is not finished with Israel. He promised them a land. He promised them a king. And he promised that king would reign from David's throne. One day he said he would reign with a rod of iron and he would reign from Jerusalem. That wasn't for the Gentile church. That was for the nation Israel. And the church has no claim to that promise. We have no claim to that. You want to claim that promise? Flip over to Deuteronomy 28. You better claim every one of those curses too. If you want to claim the promises to Israel, you claim the curses too. We don't want any part of that. We just want the good stuff. God ain't done with Israel. Praise God for Israel. Y'all have heard me say it before. We can have Judaism all day long. No Christianity. It was done for thousands of years. But you cannot have Christianity without Judaism. Amen. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, which was one of uh, uh, one of Jacob's boys, one of the original twelve tribes. Folks, Jews were around for years before Christians were ever thought of. Amen. Uh, in, the, in the human realm, we can have Jews, but you can't have a Christian without a Jew. We can have Jews without Christians all day long, and all week long, and all year long, but you cannot have a Christian without a Jew. It's impossible. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. Now remember everything we just talked about. Everything we just talked about. He said, you're going to go into this land. I'm going to put you into this land. He said, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to get you over there. You're going to mess up. Your children are going to mess up. He said, but I will bring you back to me. But everything I've commanded you this day, he says, everything I've commanded thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it afar off. Folks, it ain't no further off for us than it was for the Jews. It was the word of God. This was the word of God. Listen, Moses was speaking this to the children of Israel directly from the mouth of God. God related to Moses. Moses related to the Israelites. That's how it worked back, uh, back in this time. God spoke to Moses, and Moses gave it to the Israelites. He says, this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that Thou mayest do it. 
He says it's not up in the heavens and it's not over the sea. You don't have to send a single person out in search of that word. That word is being written in your heart. That word is in your mouth. It's the same word that he told the Israelites, the forefathers of these. It should be as frontlets in front of your eyes. You should bind it to your wrist. You should not forget the word of God. Don't neglect the word of God. This word is not unto you, folks. Every one of us in here and everyone out there has a conscience. They know if they are right. They know if they are wrong. God has not changed. Every one of us knows we're right or we're wrong. We're the only ones that do. All right. Man, person in here knows for 100% certain if I'm saved or not. Except for me and God. That's right. That's right. I don't know for 100% certain if any of you are saved. You know that and God knows that. God has given every one of us a conscience. He has written upon our hearts. He has written upon our hearts right and wrong. And the more we do wrong, the easier it is to do wrong. The longer... <coughs> Excuse me. The longer we stay out of church, the easier it is to stay out of church. Right. You miss a Sunday, you miss two Sundays, you miss three Sundays, it's a whole lot easier to give up that fourth Sunday. Same, same way with Thursdays or Wednesdays or whenever whenever we're coming. It's a whole lot easier. Folks, we get hardened that way. The, the heart gets hardened. And, and you know what's in the back of our mind when that happens? And I'm talking about Christians now. I'm talking about saved, born-again believers. Now, you know what's in the back of our mind? Well, God didn't punish me. It must be all right. I must be all right in the eyes of God. I must be all right in the the mind of God because he didn't strike me in the rear end with a lightning bolt last week when I missed Sunday or last week when I missed the midweek or when I when I jumped out of doing this or doing that at the church he didn't strike me down then so I must be alright hey God is long suffering and God is patient but folks you listen to me Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs I believe it's Proverbs 13 and verse 15 he said the way of the transgressor is hard the way of the sinner is hard the way that they have to travel is hard I don't care how easy they think that it is I don't care how wonderful they think their life is the way of the transgressor is hard because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. We might look out at the world and we might say, boy, they've got it easy. They've got it. They've got everything coming to them. Everything's working out their way. But if they are a transgressor against the laws of God, their way is hard. Amen. My way is simple. What is my way? I said it just this morning. If any man wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That cross is heavy, yes. That burden gets heavy, yes. The way gets gets a little tight sometimes on that straight and narrow, absolutely. But folks, it's easy compared to the transgressor. Compared to the transgressor, my way is easy. My way that God has set out for me is easy compared to their ways. Why is the way of the transgressor hard? Because they know somewhere in the back of their mind, they know somewhere down deep in their heart that they are wrong. That they are wrong. Therefore, they don't sleep like they should. Therefore, they can't get the rest like they need. Therefore, they have an ultimate end. And if they've sat under preaching, any any decent preaching, and have heard about hell, they know that that's their ultimate end. 
And there's people out there, I preached about it just this morning. There's people out there that just blatantly outright sin. They will own their sin. They'll own that they're on their way to hell like they're proud of it. And then you got other people that think that they're all right. They think that they're just fine with God. But neither one of those folks is right with God. And both of them's on their way to hell. You got the folks that, uh, well, like I preached this morning when Jesus said, Jesus said the, the publicans and the harlots will get into the kingdom before you do. The publicans and harlots will go before you do, talking to the religious people when he said that. Amen. But he didn't completely close the door on them, praise God. He just said before, he didn't say instead of. Hallelujah. But the way of the transgressor nevertheless is hard. Hey, folks, just because God saved you out of your sin, just because he saved me out of my sin, sometimes, even though we might be saved 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, we might still be living with the consequence of a sin that we committed before we got saved. Even after we're saved, we might commit a sin and still have to live with the consequence of that sin. God will save the alcoholic. I'm living proof of it. Hallelujah. Yeah. He'll save the alcoholic. He might not heal that cirrhosis that becomes onset in their liver. That's a consequence of sin. That's a consequence of something that they've done. But hey, still yet, the way of the transgressor is hard. If somebody's born again, if somebody is born again, they got something to look forward to. They got something to look forward to. God may not heal us of every disease. He may not heal us of every ailment that we suffer. He may, he may let us go on and go on and go on in something, folks. And, and sometimes that, that's God's way. Uh, God will use things like that to bring himself glory. God will place those things or he'll allow those things to be placed upon his people because his people should be giving him praise regardless of what's going on in their life. If they're hanging out, with people and they're sick they got disease they got problems they got issues but they're still shouting the praises of almighty God and bringing glory unto God that might just be the very reason that you're suffering what you are because God knew God knew they'll bring me glory regardless of this folks David is a prime example of that in the scriptures David a man after God's own heart that ain't my description. That's God's description of him. And God's word. He was a man after God's own heart. We all know his big sin with Bathsheba. His sin against Uriah, her husband. Having him murdered after he had committed adultery with Uriah's wife. We know the baby that came out on, uh, on the scene after that adulterous relationship. We know all these things. We know all these things about David. But yet God sent a prophet. Amen. God sent a man named Nathan. And unto David. Right. To call him out in his sin. God chased David through his sin. He didn't give up on David. Just because David sinned, that didn't mean God was finished with him. That didn't mean God had kicked him to the curb like yesterday's trash. It didn't mean God was completely finished and letting David ride on into hell. No, he sent a man unto David named Nathan to call him out in his sin. But that wasn't just to entertain God and it wasn't to entertain Nathan. It was to bring David to a place of repentance. Amen. And it succeeded. 
succeeded. My God's plan will succeed. It cannot fail no more than his word will fail. Amen. The word of God will go out and it will not return void. Y'all have heard me say before, when I preach, if it don't, if it don't draw lost people to God, it should encourage saved people. It should do one of those two things. You either draw the lost unto God or you exhort the brethren. One of, one of the other. If, it, if I fail at doing one of those with a sermon, my sermon is a complete failure. I preach something I wasn't supposed to if one of those two things doesn't happen. But most of all, it should bring glory unto God. It shouldn't be all about me and it shouldn't be all about you. I've heard men get up and read a couple of verses of Scripture and spend a half an hour talking about their day at work. That ain't going to get anybody saved. Amen. It ain't going to help anybody either. It might make get a couple of chuckles. It might keep their paycheck from the church coming in. It might do all kinds of things. But folks, and I've heard it multiple times, people get up and talk about their personal life like that is going to get somebody saved. I've never saved anyone and neither of you. The only one that can save is Almighty God through the blood of Jesus Christ with the conviction of the Holy Ghost on the life of a guilty sinner. That's what saves. Amen. And nothing else. Nothing else. God says... <coughs> This word is very nigh unto thee. Not just nigh. It says it's very nigh unto thee. Very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. He tells the what? This word is very nigh unto thee in thy heart and in thy mouth. And he tells the why that thou mayest do it. The word is nigh unto us that we may do it. God won't force us to. He won't force nobody to do it. Folks, if that, was, if that was the case, Pharaoh and his whole army would have been saved. Oh, yeah. Pharaoh and his army would have been saved. Satan would have chance after chance after chance. The demons of this world, they would have another chance. Mm-hmm. Folks, there's a line out there. There's Amen. a line that we can cross where God will not deal with us anymore. I know I preached that just a service or two ago about that line. But there is a line out there where God will hand us over. He'll let us live whatever life that yeah. we want to. Hey, folks, and that he's God. He can do that. People will say, how could, a, how could a God that supposedly loves us do that? Folks, the Bible plainly states that God hates those that do iniquity. Don't take my word for it. Turn to Psalms chapter 5 and read it. Turn to Psalms chapter 10 and read it. It doesn't say he hates the iniquity. It says he hates those that do iniquity. You know why that is? Because he gave his son to die. He gave his son to die. And those that do iniquity, and they do it blatantly, and they do it outrightly, and they do it as a snub in the face of Almighty God, they are spitting on the blood of Jesus Christ. They are trampling the blood of the only means of salvation that has ever been made for the world. If that is a reason to hate sin and those that commit it, I don't know what is. Folks, that's the Bible. You can turn to those two chapters and read it for yourself. Amen. That ain't the word of Scripture. That's the word of God. People don't like that. People want to cling on to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And he did. And he does. Now, folks, I'm telling you what else the Bible says. Yeah. I'm telling you what else it says. Y'all heard me preach before. You've probably heard me say it. You don't flood an entire world of people that you love. Yeah. And you don't, you don't burn up... The, the city, you don't rain down fire and brimstone on cities that are full of people that you love. Mm. You don't do that. 
That's the God that I serve, though. That's the same God that is going to come out of the sky one day riding on a horse and on his thigh is going to be written the name King of Kings yeah. and Lord of Lords and his vesture shall be dipped in blood and that won't be his own blood. It'll be the blood of his enemies that his vesture is dipped in and he will slay every one of his enemies with a sword from his mouth being the word of God. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that I fear. That's the God that saved me. That's the God that keeps me and that's the God God that is going to take me home one of these days. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to be on one of them horses right behind him. Because it says he comes out on a white horse in Revelation 19. And the armies of heaven followed on their horse. Amen. The armies of heaven. I'm going to be part of that army, praise God. But you know what? I won't have to draw a sword. I won't have to have a gun. I won't even have to lift a shield. Folks, it's no different now. It is no different now. God fights our battles, does he not? God will fight our battles. Now listen, I understand. I understand putting on the full armor of God. And I appreciate those scriptures. And we should do those things. Now they're in the scriptures that we should wear that full armor of God. But folks, God will fight our battles for us. What did Moses tell the Israelites when they were standing there on the former border of the Red Sea? And the uh, Pharaoh's army was coming in from behind. And they were worried. Moses said, hey, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You need not fight. You need not do anything just stand here and let the Lord fight for you and fight for him he did he got them across on dry land Pharaoh's army followed in camped out some of the funniest scripture in there God came down and personally removed their chariot when they took off after the Israelites they couldn't move they couldn't move now, folks, Amen. you listen to me. Would God do that to people that he loved? He turned Pharaoh and Pharaoh's entire army, the strongest army on earth at that time. He turned them all into fish food. Amen. Every one of them. You don't do that to people that you love. You don't do that to folks that you love. When you serve God, and when you praise God, and when you seek God, and when you pray to God, you remember what God it is that you're praying to. Yeah. You're praying to the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. You're praying to the God. You're, pray, you're praying to the same Jesus, the same Jesus that give the warning over in the New Testament. He said, he said those that fell upon the stone, they were going to get hurt. They were going to get hurt, but those that the stone fell upon them will be grinded into powder. Yeah. Be grinded into powder. That's a warning that Jesus himself gave. He was that stone, by the way. Amen. He was the stone that the builders rejected. Yeah. Yeah. He is the stone. Hey, God said it over in the Old Testament. It was prophesied then, and it came to be over in the New Testament. Said, Behold, in sign, I lay a rock of offense. I lay a stumbling rock and a rock of offense, or a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Amen. Jesus is that rock of offense. Jesus will offend the lost world. He will offend. Hey, if you ever present the gospel and somebody doesn't get offended, you probably presented it wrong. If there's a lost person in your midst when you, when you present the gospel and they're not offended in one way, shape, form, or fashion, you probably didn't present it correctly. The gospel is a gory story. The, the, the death of Jesus Christ is a bloody, gory, nasty mess. But Amen. praise God, it doesn't end with the death. There's a resurrection that took place three days later. Yeah. 
And that, that's, that's the best part of the gospel there because he raised from the dead to vindicate us, to vindicate himself, to go and sit up at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you and I. Hey, no, J, J, or not James, John says in 1 John, says if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there is no God to confess to and there is no intercessor that we can go through to get to that God, our faith is in vain our prayers are in vain but praise God he sits there at the right hand of the father being a mediator being my lawyer because I could not argue my own case hallelujah that's my God that's my Jesus that's my mediator and my intercessor anyway God bless y'all I appreciate you I think good Lord done with me this evening